Uh, how do you pronounce that Italian team? Cagliari? Cagliari. Cagliari? Cagliari. I'm going to butcher that. Cagliari. Well, hello, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to Third Degree, the podcast, episode 91. I am Buzz Carrick. Peter Welton is not with us today. He's on assignment for the ticket and is not able to record with us tonight. Uh, before I get to the other person that's here with us today, let me remind you that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90. 40% off site-wide for all Third Degree podcast listeners with the promo code Third Degree on Soccer90.com. That's 3-R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E, just like the name of the website. That's the code. Use it and get yourself some snazzy goods at 40% off, which is a pretty nice sales percentage. All right. The other person with me today is my usual cohort. And that is our own Dan Crook. Dan, welcome. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Merry Christmas to you too, Buzz. Well, it's a it's an interesting show today, Dan, because we got two early Christmas presents. The first of which is a interview with Pax and Pomacall that uh, from the Kick Around that we're going to dissect. We're going to play back a couple of chunks of it and talk about what it means for Paxton in the season up ahead. And the other Christmas present is that we're going to rehash uh, really quickly. And we'll do this first because there are probably some people that are here for this news first. And that's the uh, Brian Reynolds sale situation. So it's worth at this point, I think, just sort of giving a rehash of where we are. And I'll sort of sum it up. And, and uh, there's a little bit of new stuff in here. And then, Dan, you can tell me what your take is on some of this stuff. And basically, uh, the Reynolds situation is down to three teams. Um, there are two teams that have bids in uh, that are still in the works and, and still in negotiations, and that's Club Bruges. And the second one is uh, Roma uh, in the entire league in the Serie A. And the third team that's still involved is the first team I reported, which is Juventus. Now, Juventus has not registered a bid yet. And this is one thing I think is a little interesting, Dan, that you and I can talk about a little bit. Uh, and that's because Juventus prefers to negotiate personal terms first with the player. And then if the player agrees, then they negotiate a buy for the player with FC Dallas. Roma, in this case, has taken the opposite option, which is they've negotiated a sale price first, and now they're attempting to do personal terms with Brian uh, at the same time that Juventus is. So it's a complicated situation. And I'm sure, Dan, that you're used to this idea that some clubs do things one way and other clubs do things the other way. Yeah, um, I mean, especially when you think like Juventus, they're going to come in if they, you know, if they match terms, they're going to come in and blow whatever else out the water. So, you know, FC Dallas, you know, know by now it's not a case of hey, we're tapping up your player. It's let's just you know put an authorization on the card, whatever you want, do it. Yeah, it's an interesting situation too because uh, in a case of a nineteen-year-old kid like Brian. There are other factors at play here um, than just how much money he's going to make. And some of them have to do with playing time and some have to do with comfort level. And I'll give you just an, one example of what this factor could be. Roma is owned by Dan Freakin. And a lot of people that are FC Dallas fans may not know who that is. Uh, you probably do, Dan. He's the owner of a company called the Freakin Group, uh, and he's an American. 
And the most important thing about him is that he owns Gulf States Toyota Distributors, which is the Toyota that sponsors Toyota Stadium and sponsors FC Dallas. So Dan Freakin, owner of Roma, has a pre-existing relationship with the Hunt brothers. And obviously that creates a level of trust between the clubs that creates perhaps a level of trust between Brian Reynolds and that owner if he's had some contact with them through FC Dallas. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, like the minute details it comes down to from from things like that level of comfort of having the familiar accent around or from having someone like a Weston McKinney who, who you know uh, at Juventus or, uh, you know, how many players speak English? Is, is the club going to... Uh, give you some kind of fast track Italian lessons or, or you know what are they going to help out with in, in terms of accommodation so it's, you know I, I, I'm sure you, one of the things you'll, you'll discuss is is well one of the things that, that's come up about the, the caveats in the event of Speed and, and how he can get playing time but elsewhere but uh, you know it's it kind of circles back right it's 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 good in that way to to know that Brian gets to pick the club he goes to, and it not be a case of the hunts accept a bid, um, and and kind of like try and force the move to to somewhere that's not going to be ideal for him in his growth. Yeah, it's true that any player always can turn down a bid, but if there's only one team bidding, it's a lot less likely that you're going to turn down the one bid if the money is really nice. In well, this case. Brian has the choice of three clubs at this point that he can pick from, basically. Well, and also, uh, you know, if, if, if the Hunts then turn around and say, um, Juventus, we accept your bid and your bid only, maybe Roma get put off, maybe Bruce get put off. Yeah. So, like, keeping those those players who, oh, Roma's got a, a lot of money in the bank, but maybe Club Bruce don't. So, you know, keeping that, keeping that interest is always, always good rather than and keeping those options open. Yeah, one thing I can tell you is that Inter Milan and AC Milan, who both were involved and interested, are at this point out. I think it says something about Brian that Antonio Conte and Paolo Maldini, who run those two clubs, were interested in a a player that's a young defender. And I imagine that that's uh, eye-opening for a young man when those guys are involved. Effectively, because this transfer and these other teams want to get him now, those other two clubs were going to have to try and do some things to make something happen in the summer, as I understand it. And that kind of lets them out because this is happening now with these other teams that are ready to make moves, basically. Oh, imagine that. Though. You're, a, you're a, a young wing back. And uh, if anybody in the world who has ever watched a game of football could put together their historical World Eleven and didn't have Paolo Maldini at left or center back, those people should never watch another game. For that guy to be interested in you to play for his team, to play... You know, as essentially the the counterpart to his historical position, that is insane. That is uh, such a level of of trust and belief. One of the things that'll come down to, I'm sure, for Reynolds will be playing time. You know, he he looks at himself, and I think we do too, with the Olympic team in mind, with the national team in mind. Playing time matters. You know, I, I think it'd be fair to say, Dan. I think you I think you'd agree that Club Bruges is probably the safest. A team that's still in it, you know, that's a team where he could walk in as the starter, I would imagine. Um, Roma is probably the middle ground where you have uh, a sh- guys there that are around the age of 30 or over 30. So maybe Brian doesn't walk in and start, but certainly is going to be have a really good chance to unseat 
that player at right back really quickly. So that's probably the best combination of money and playing time, perhaps. And then Juventus, of course, uh, as has been reported in other places, um, has their club that they've arranged to have Brian go to for the rest of this season, Cagliari, uh, which I'm probably butchering in my gringoness, but um, that's a place where it's been reported that Brian will go. And I imagine that not being able to be in the Juventus locker room, even if it's only for six months, maybe that's a little bit of a factor because then you're out of sight, out of mind when you'd rather be like in Roma, you'd rather be in their team, you know, whether it's starting from day one or just being on the squad and on the bench from day one, that's, you know, there's, there's lots of factors there with those three opportunities. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's almost kind of like, uh, you don't want to be Deandre Yedlin, uh, how, you know, he picked the really, the, the sexy option, which was Tottenham never played hurt his national team chance a little bit. And he goes on the line, uh, to Sunderland and again, out of sight, out of mind. And it was only really that Newcastle came in and kind of saved him to, to resurrect things a little bit, but still that was, you know, two years of his career that were really lost. Uh, so, yeah, um, in in those fullback rankings for the the US national team, when you've got you know Sergio Dest, you've got Reggie Cannon, Brian, um, you know, you've got even you know if, if Nick Lima um, turns it on now that he's going to Austin again, you you've got a ton of guys coming through in those fullback positions because. Just the way the way the the game's going, and the fullback position is kind of gearing more and more towards the American style of athletic player. Uh, y- yeah, you can't if you can't afford to to lose that momentum that he's got right now. Well, it's going to be an interesting next week and a half. You know, maybe even we'll know something in the next couple of days. I'm sure they'll be talking through Christmas, trying to get this move done. You know, Dallas is, uh, I'm sure, anxious because they have things they want to do and have already done. And I'm sure these other clubs want to get things ironed up and locked down too. So I think it's going to be done by uh, New Year's, uh, certainly, and and maybe even in the next day or two. uh, We'll hear more specifically about where all he's going to go. So right, you're saying we may get a post-Christmas Huntsman dump? We might get a post-Christmas Huntsman dump. We'll see how it goes. Uh, it depends on how available these people are over the holidays, but you are talking about guys that own clubs. This is the level of these discussions happen when you're talking about this kind of money. Is it the ownership and, or the head of the organization soccer-wise having these discussions? And, and those guys work you know, year-round around the clock because these things are too much money and too important. Yeah, so, and uh, you think I think what the the transfer window opens I think January second this year. So I mean, you know, we're only a little more than a week away from from the business end of it all, uh, where they really want to get these things tied up. Yeah, everybody wants it lined up before the windows actually go into effect. All right, so if you were here just for the Brian Reynolds news. Hopefully you'll stick around and enjoy the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Hopefully we don't not about to lose half the audience, but um, we are going to dissect the Pax and Pomacall interview that was on the ticket, um, where Peter and and Andy fawned over Paxton, and there was some fluff in the article, which is all fun and colorful stuff. But we're interested in the mentality and the health. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, play Paxton's answers. I'll set up the question short in short version forms in order to tighten things up a little bit. And then we'll play Paxton's answer. And then Dan and I will talk about. I can't what, believe you're uh, denying us some Peter this week. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it, it happened. The Paxton interview just happened and then Peter couldn't join us. So it was like, it's, it's a, uh, it would have been nicer to have him introduce his own questions, but uh 
you know, we're just going to go with it here. And we've never done it this way. So this is going to be a new experience for us as well. And hopefully it will work well. Okay. So the first question Peter asked is uh, really, I'm going to, I'm going to paste, paste together the first two answers from Paxton because they're the same question. Uh, And that's basically the question was combined. um, How was your injury and what was the timeline of it basically? and, And is it related to the injury you've had problem the whole time? So here's what Paxton said. Um, yes and no. Um, it was a, obviously it was a different surgery, but, um, injury wise, it was the next step that I had to take, um, regarding, uh, my groin pain that I had been having, uh, for the, the, since last season, since I had the, the core muscle repair and, uh, got back from that, went into January camp and, um, tweaked it a little bit there and then just never really got back to, to where I was during the season and uh, still was feeling pain. And um, the next step in my kind of progression to get back to health was, was this surgery that I had back in September. Yeah, no, before, before COVID hit going into the season, when we had our home opener versus Philly, obviously I wasn't completely fit because I didn't have an entire preseason like the rest of the squad, but I didn't have any pain or any, like injury designation going into the season. I was feeling good and just trying to build fitness back. And I came on as a sub, both of those games. And um, yeah, I was feeling really good. And then obviously COVID hit and we had to kind of switch the way we were doing things, switch the way we're working out. I mean, the whole world got turned upside down. So (laughs) yeah, just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, when I came back and we started doing the individual uh, kind of quarantine sessions on like corners of the field and then, certain sessions I would feel it a little bit. And then uh, we went to Orlando and kind of just the rest of the season uh, on and off, I was feeling it a little bit. And then progressively after I got back from Orlando, it just got to the point where the club and I both decided that that uh, was going to be for my best interest moving forward. And uh, it made, it was the perfect time to do it and it made the most sense. Okay. So to paraphrase that answer, Dan basically said it's the same injury. Uh, but it was a different procedure. This is the second procedure that he needed, the next progression. Um, that He was feeling good at one point last season, but when they started ramping up post-COVID, he began to have this problem again. So uh, do you, Dan, have any concerns now with after having had this procedure, you know, it, it, with his talks that this is what he and the club together decided was important going forward? I mean, it definitely seems like, you know, as you were saying, this is the right way. He had that the the cam impingement in his hip, which I mean, it's like if you you have any kind of long term injury, right? You you favor favor the other leg or the other arm, and and you always kind of develop some kind of issue. Uh, Stephen Keel was a perfect example when he had that uh, plantar fascia deal; it screwed up his opposite knee. Um, so they had to like he came back from injury, and then they kind of pulled they. They uh, they took him out again so they could kind of rebalance things and get him going because otherwise you get that whole like Mauro Diaz every every injury he had at FC Dallas and all that time by the uh, by the Achilles tendon was due to the fact that as a youngster he had a a hamstring injury uh, which left him kind of favoring the opposite leg so and I remember talking to uh, the Chris I can't think what the names are now. Um, the, the the physical trainer, one of the brothers, uh, who is now at Orlando. Bazan. That was it. Uh, Profi Bazan. 
And he, he talked about, you know, Mara was a weird case because he was like, I think it was his, his left side was like super developed and his right side, no, his, his left side was, was completely underdeveloped and his right side was overdeveloped. So, you know, he's, everything he's doing is weakening one side or the other. So he was kind of like just a ticking time bomb. And, you know, by taking care of this now we're at 21 years old, this is it's perfect. It kind of sets him up for his career and to have hopefully some regular playing time after the last two years where it's, it's been hit and miss. I, it's funny how these things are all interconnected. Uh, I play, I have two stories about the interconnectedness of injuries. I, I played high school soccer with a guy who's one of his legs was about half a centimeter shorter than the other. And it basically caused him chronic back problems. He was an extraordinary player in, in terms of the level I was at and probably had a chance to play in college. And that all got ruined by these chronic back problems he had because one of his legs was a tiny bit different than the other. Uh, just like uh, Mar Diaz, well, similar to Mar Diaz, slightly different. And the other one was I remember that Ryan Giggs for a long time had back problems, chronic back problems. And they figured out that it was his car. It was his car seat that was causing these problems. They made him get a different car and his back problems vanished. And it's just funny how tightly wound these guys are and how thin the margins are between performance and non-performance when it, when it comes to something like an injury. Um, one, of the new, one of the new fads in, in a lot of the sports is, uh, is sleep studies. Not like, uh, you know, like uh, sleep apnea or anything, but the position that players sleep in, the tension they put on one side compared to the other, so, uh, you know, a lot of clubs are bringing in sleep experts to get them, like, all the Tempur-Pedic beds or, you know, some, or some kind of custom-molded thing so that they, they're they not twisting their bodies and, and, like you say, you know, starting the day with any additional strain that they don't need when they go through those physical activities. I need one of those. Yes. Okay, <laughs> let's go on to question number two. And uh, Peter asked uh, Paxton about how Paxton's mentality is, and here's what he said. Well, first, I'll, I'll answer the, the mental aspect of it. I, I don't necessarily think that I have pressure to to come right away and uh, from day one and kind of be that guy. I mean, I just had a, a long-term surgery that it's – I'm going to feel better in two years than I do right now. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not worried. The club and I uh, have talked, and they've put a lot of faith into me, and mm-hmm. they're – looking forward to me playing next season and <laughs> I am as well don't get me wrong I'm super eager and I'm, I'm in a very good place mentally and I'm I'm ready for next year and I'm ready to contribute and uh, not be on the sidelines or up in the stands near as much as I have been but um, I, I don't really like to put too much pressure on myself but I feel like I I'm gonna have a good year okay this for me Dan is the answers that I love about Paxton when he says like this things like this and talks like this this is what I feel really good about this kid the idea that he's not going to pressure himself that he doesn't get wound up that he doesn't get concerned he's just cool calm and collected also the really interesting thing in this answer was the idea that two years from now he'll feel better than he feels now so that's kind of like an ACL injury uh, where it ta- the time frame is like just because you're back playing and recovering doesn't mean you're 100% feeling awesome and amazing. So despite the fact he's ready to contribute, it's going to be an interesting year in terms of that side. Um, but I love the mental answer, the, the level-headedness, the coolness of this kid. He's mature beyond his years, I think. Yeah, I and mean, he's, he's always been mature beyond his years. I mean, ever since the first time I spoke to him as a 16-year-old. Um, but... It's kind of a perfect 
he he's the perfect player to be in this situation because he is the guy that is, um, you know, it, it's it's like a almost like a, kind of like how uh, Mara Diaz with the Achilles he came back and people were like well, he's not the same player well he wouldn't be for because similarly that's a two year recovery. Um, he's the guy that he's not going to care if people say he's not playing up to scratch. He's going to care what he thinks and what Lucci says. So he's you know. He's not going to care about what you or I or Peter say on this podcast or what you or I write. Uh, if we do the the power the roster rankings, he doesn't. He's not going to give a shit if he's <laughs> one or forty six. Um, you know, and and we've seen players. I mean, we probably see more of it than, than a lot of people, but we've seen players who read more into what people say about them and that affects their belief and particularly in, a, in an attacking position there's a lot of confidence that goes along with it and uh, yeah it's just it's great to have someone like Paxton who is everything is just water off a duck's back he he knows who he he, who he is and, and where he is um, there's a player once I was pretty friendly with who I wrote he had a bad game. And the next time I saw him, he said, man, why did you write that I had a bad game? And I was like, well, didn't you think you had a bad game? He said, well, yeah, but you didn't have to write that. <laughs> oh, and um, back at a club of work in England, uh, we had a guy who did, he did a report and then he'd, he'd give like uh, marks out of 10. And someone like cornered him in uh, in in a in a like a function room at the at the stadium. It's like, why did you give me that? <laughs> oh, all right. Question number three that follows the question about mentality is how are you feeling physically? And this again, let's listen to Paxton. So surgery was back uh, early September, so I'm about three and a half months out. Um, and a tentative timeline for the surgery I have is similar to an ACL. It's about six months until mm-hmm. I'm. Uh, so I'm back playing, uh, whether that means at four and a half, five months, I'm already in training, getting fit and whatnot. But uh, physically right now, I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm running pretty much every day. Uh, I'm biking for um, cardio and doing a bunch of strengthening work. And I'm literally at therapy every single day. So physically, I'm feeling good. And uh, hopefully um, there is no setbacks, which there hasn't been so far. All right. Again, there's some interesting stuff in here, Dan, to digest, Uh, you know, original six month timeline, which means he's three months out from being, quote, back to playing. Uh, Now, that's a relative term, of course, back to playing. That probably means training on some level. Um, Paxton does this did say he's already running, biking and doing cardio. That's fantastic. Um, a big one for this kind of injury, of course, is going to be rotating the, the, the sternum and the core, how that's developing. And that's different when you're playing. So, you know, the, the timeline to actually being in a game will be different than the actual game, the timeline to return to training. But um, still three months out, that puts us, uh, where does that put us now? March puts us in March sometime where he'll be, you know, participating late March, maybe early April, he'll be participating in training at least. Yeah, it's just, it's just kind of disappointing. The only aspect of the timing, um, it's a little disappointing because it'll be another preseason he effectively misses. You know, he'll be there to to be doing some of the strength work and kind of getting himself ready, but he won't be... You know, one thing we've seen, particularly with FC Dallas, is the guys do uh, the Matt Hedges-led pre-camp camp so that they're all back in kind of fighting shape from day one. And... and as a, you know, and he, he'll be in a position where he can't do that because 
you know, when we talk about coming back and and that three months out from playing is three months out from running with no pain or feeling, um, not from sprinting for, for two hours. Yeah, let's be clear that the level of fitness for a professional soccer player, game fitness, is very different from just being fit. I mean, there are guys that are perfectly fit that would just get destroyed by the actual level that a pro soccer player fitness is. And in particular, you mentioned Hedges. I know that he told me one time, because I asked him about it, that when the season ends, he takes like a week, maybe two weeks off, and then he's back up at the facility working year-round because those guys know that they have to come into camp fit. Like 20 years ago, you would come into camp unfit, and then you would get fit in camp. Well, it doesn't work that way now. you got to be fit when you walk in the door because they're working on tactics day one. Yeah, it's... uh you know, the professionalism's just uh through the roof. It's it's not the old days where I mean the old days it used to get to the first day of the season and the the coach would be asked, Do you know your best eleven and the first few weeks everyone would be like, Oh, well, you know, it's still early in the season. <laughs> no one cares, you know, over Eastern Europe, oh no one looks at the table till Christmas and now it's when you look at Europe, the the Premier League and the half of the team spend their preseason making money in different countries so they don't get a preseason then so they do really have to you know everyone has to have a physical trainer and and be be really working on the fitness aspect the 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 days of not kicking a ball for the first two weeks and then kind of scaling things up are 20 years in the past yeah considering people have lost the premier league on a point or a goal differential i mean every single game right is 100 percent. all right question number four uh, is the summation of that is, are you in touch with either Christ or Bearhalter? And let's uh, hear what Paxton said. Yeah, no, me personally, I, I haven't been in, in touch with, uh, with Jason or Greg, but I've been kind of my whole medical team, docs here, everywhere around the country have also been in contact with all of the national team uh, trainers and, and docs and making sure that they're in on the loop and just know my progression and know my timetable to come back so that they they have an idea of when I'll be able to potentially be in a camp or like like you said for all these crazy tournaments coming up it's going to be a busy year for the national team as well as uh, MLS all right that one's pretty simple Dan and, and this is a slightly surprising actually that he himself has not talked to Christ or Belhalter but for the FC Dallas trainers and docs to be talking to the U.S. national team trainers and docs. That means there's a full integration going on in terms of his management and keeping them in the loop. That's really exciting to hear about that level of contact. Uh, maybe they're not actually sharing the diagnosis like or helping make the diagnosis, but they're sharing the diagnosis and, and keeping them in, in, informed with what Paxson's progress is. That's really exciting to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely good to hear that, you know, uh, the FC Dallas or or the the care providers that FC Dallas use are in touch with the, with the national team. It's a little it's a little less surprising to hear that he hasn't heard from Greg Barhal. Or you know, I was always under the impression that he he had a has a relationship of some sorts with with Jason Christ and that they uh, from you know times he's talked about how they would talk, uh, but you know it's. Uh, Sometimes, as well, coaches just want to let guys get on with their stuff. Um, you know, I remember when Jesse had his one-time switch um, from Mexico to the U.S. Um, you know, no one from U.S. soccer called him. 
that nobody wanted to pressure him. Um, it was like, a, hey, look, if you want to come with us, come with us. Just, but we're gonna let you, you know, get on with it, and and we're not gonna harass you. So, you know, not not too shocking to to not hear from coaches because he's not in coaches' immediate pl plans, and they're in discussions with, you know, Berhalter would have is on the phone with his. 23 guys he he caught up in November in Europe and the uh, the entire MLS base camp he's, he's calling up uh, next month here. So, well, we do know that uh, that Berhalter and Christ do talk to the coaches of all the clubs in Major League Soccer. So we, I'm sure he's been in touch with Lucci. I imagine that there's no need to contact Paxton because there's no pressure here. It's when you're ready, you're ready. Then we'll be you'll be involved in the discussion at that point. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move on to the next question. Uh, question five, and these are the, the order I've got them written down in. It's not necessarily – I mean, they're the order they were in the podcast, but there's some stuff I'm cutting out. So anyway, uh, affected by is, – is Paxton affected by seeing his academy teammates being sold? Uh, the, for one, this I thought was an interesting question from Peter. Um, and here's what Paxton said in reply. No, I don't, I don't think that they necessarily affect um, my decision-making in the future in that regard. Um, obviously, I'm – very happy for these guys and they're i hate to see them go because they're my my friends and i love playing with them and i've been with them for a long time so uh, but obviously it's a new chapter for them and they're taking the next step in their career but uh, the next step in my career right now is just be healthy man I yeah mean, I've, been, I've been out for like almost a year and a half uh, with groin problems and two surgeries later so I mean, that's the last thing on my mind right now. I think the the next step in my career is just get a full season in, um, healthy, and and be able to be somebody that Lucci can rely on and not have to sit in the stands or watch from home uh, with COVID like I have been over the past year and a half. Again, Dan, this is uh, Paxson's level-headedness coming through, you know, that he is not affected personally in the sense that he's going to make his own decision and choose his own path. But, you know, it's happy for them, of course. Um, the real takeaway from this answer, actually, and the reason I included it was because he mentioned specifically that it's basically been a year and a half that, since he's been hurt. And so his focus on for himself right now is 100% on getting healthy and becoming up somebody that Lucci can rely on. The Paxton knows that this is the most important thing on his plate. And obviously his vision right now is not where am I going to go someday? It's like, I got to salvage my career basically is what he's saying here is that's the way i took it anyway yeah i mean uh you know we, we've kind of talked uh for a couple or at least we maybe we haven't but people like the matt doors of the world have been talking about you know what's his real breakout year gonna be you know so he, he needs to have that before he start worrying about europe and he's you know paxton's always had a different approach to his career about than a lot of guys you know uh, reggie always said he wants to go to europe he wants to uh, work his way up and test himself against the best you've got guys like tanner who've said i want two years in major league soccer then i want to go to maybe germany or holland and then work to germany maybe i'd like to try a, a season in england at some point uh, and Paxton's always just been the guy of like, I'm not looking too far ahead. If it happens, that'd be awesome. But, you know, and, you know, he's never hidden the fact he'd love to play in the Champions League. Um, but, yeah. you know, he's he's the guy that, and I, I, I can't remember if you said it or if, uh, if Peter said it, but if he has a long career in Major League Soccer and leads FC Dallas to a couple of trophies, he's going to look back on that really happy. 
Yeah, that's my impression from talking to him. He's never specifically said that himself, but I, I have said that about him because that's the take I get. You know, I, I do know that he did specifically say, and I remember this vividly, that he wants to be at least in the discussion for MVP here. He wants to dominate here before he goes. Mm-hmm. And that to be at that level and be in those discussions is something he has as a goal. And that's a slightly different, as you say, from some of the other young guys whose eyes all the time are on. We also, have, even, we also yeah. have to remember that he's an FC Dallas fan. He was, you know, he, he was, a, he was watching Bobby Ryan as a kid. That yeah. number nineteen jersey means the world to him. You don't. You think he wants to, you know, leave Dallas and not be in the uh, the greatest of all time discussion with Matt Hedges? No, I, I think he would be very happy to be in that discussion. Uh, the other, on the other hand, I do think he would not turn down a great offer if it came. But clearly, his mind is on right now the next oh, yeah. year and, and being back and healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Next question. And this is uh, an interesting question because Paxton totally calls Peter on the the loaded nature of this question. And that is uh, what position does he Paxton think that he should play? That's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) But come on, I got to know what you think your best position is. It's it's fair. Um, It's a fair question. Personally, I, I like playing in the middle. Um, But do I, as a six an eight, a 10, what do you see yourself as? That's that's the so Lucy and I talk about this and um, I'm you sure know, you do. <laughs> no, but my my role for the team is not necessarily to have a specific position, and I feel like that's something that I I've kind of transitioned in my game, and that is something the club really likes about me is that I am versatile, and that they can be able to slot me anywhere and and have me play on the field and do a great job in any of those positions. Now, personally, I, I like to play like the 10 or the 8, but I also I, I really enjoy playing winger a lot this year. And and even in the past with the national team uh, and qualifiers and stuff, when I was with Tap playing on the wing, I, I really enjoyed it out there too. So, I mean, right now I'm just looking to get back on the field, but obviously positionally these are conversations we have based on formation, based on the team we're playing, based on – what guys are available at that time. And, and so in training, I, I train and, and practice in a lot of different positions that, that I could potentially even go left wing back. If we play five in the back, there's just a lot of different ways that, that I can yeah. be used in our, in our style and the way we play. So it's, it's hard for me to like come out and say, this is like where I need to be on the field, you know? All right. Paxton's answer was exactly what we have said it is, which is that he's a, he prefers to play centrally as a 10 or even an eight. Um, but then he completely dodges the component of other than he said, he talks to Lucio all the time. He does dodge the answer of sort of where that might be this next season, but he has admitted that he has enjoyed playing on the wing. He's even talked before Dan, you can remember, I'm sure about playing wing back at one point. Um, but the biggest answer, part of this answer for me that I found interesting that I actually don't like is that he says the club likes the flexibility he has, that he can play all these multiple positions. And I shouldn't say I don't like it because I do like that he is flexible, but I'm a big believer in positional focus. I think you become your best by picking one position and become really great at that position. He is so good that he can do multiple things, but I would love to see him like, here's your spot and you're going to be the best this you can be. That's a problem for Jesus Ferreira too. I don't know if you agree with my take on that or not. No, I'm with you. I mean, uh, it's kind of like uh, Ryan Holland said, right? He 
He's flexible enough that he became a left back and he became a good left back by playing there a lot. Um, at the same time, if something goes wrong, he is the, the band-aid. Um, so I'm sure like Lucci values it, particularly, you know, coming from the, the academy background where it, uh, you know, uh, how many, how many strikers of, uh, Solar and Texans of FC Dallas turned into a fullback or into a, a center back or a central midfielder, um, you know, having someone that you can turn to and you can say, Hey, look, uh, Acosta just went down. I need you to just fill in. Uh, I need you to play the six in a pinch or something like that. Um, you know that that is that is such a a, a great resource to have. But yeah, it would uh, particularly when you know we just talked a minute ago about Paxton wants to be in the discussion at some point in his in his FC Dallas career for MLS MVP. You're not going to get MLS MVP by being the guy that plays left wing one week and right back the next and, yeah. and central midfield. You know, you you're going to be the guy that is playing either as the inverted winger supplying or as the free eight slash ten supplying or as a dominating centre mid. It's you know those. Uh, I was I was a little surprised to, honestly to hear him say how much he enjoyed playing on the wing. Yeah. Um, well, I hope he enjoys it because that's where he's going to be this season. <laughs> still, still I know. It's not the case. Well, um, to, to Dan, it's a difference when you're talking about Ryan Hollingshead, who's doing this between 27 and 29 and is not in the developmental phase. And let's say compare that to Jesus, who at 18 and 19 is playing left wing, nine, attacking mid, linking mid, right wing. It's like, you know, you're, you're hurting development of these youngest kids by moving them around, I think. Oh, yeah. And it's definitely shown on Jesus. I mean, we. You know, we, we, we rag on him for maybe being a passenger in some games, but it's not something he's actively doing wrong. It's just, yeah, he's he's playing as the nine one week and then playing on the right wing and then skipping to the ten and then suddenly he's, a, you know, expected to be like a, you know, a true Lincoln eight. And there's, the tendencies are so different in all those positions and, and what you have to to do that, the, the, the core principles of his game just go out the window. Well, that leads us a little bit to the next and the final question we're going to play the answer to, and that is when will we be able to see you on the field? Is it going to be opening day? And here's Paxton's response. Like in a, in a match game? Yeah. Or like for training? The match game. Will you be there well, opening day? I, I really hope so. I, I mean, I'm not going to make any promises with you guys, but obviously the, the start of the season, too, is a little bit um, – weird right now because we don't even know when the season's starting yeah we don't even know so uh whether that's early march or early april mid-march whatever it is i mean if if we're starting early april hopefully i'll be able to at least be looked at to contend for a spot on the field all right so maybe not quite the answer fans are going to want to hear that obviously he paxton is correct that we don't even know when the season's going to start right now it is kind of up in the air. But Paxson says he should be able to compete by early April. So that means he'll be game ready, but likely not game fit or in the swing of things in terms of tactics and team play and all that kind of stuff. So that I, that says to me, Dan, that probably at the beginning of the season or in the first quarter of the season, maybe, we shouldn't be expecting Paxson to be starting, I wouldn't think. No, no, definitely not. And I think it was kind of a... Uh... 
I think there was kind of a dodge in that because we, you know, uh, there's certainly been plenty of reports that Major League Soccer are looking to have the uh, the season start in its regular late February, early March time slot. Um, the only thing that would be up in the air is is how long preseason is and and how it relates to a CBA that may yet still be renegotiated. Um, yeah, I, f- I figured there was some MLSPA pushback when because every all MLS said we're going to start on time, and then MLSPA was like, oh, maybe not. I'm like, yeah, that's because you guys don't want to commit to showing up if that CBA is not done. Well, I mean, yeah, it's there's obviously the the big uh, the big thing of. MLS wanting to maybe invoke that force majeure clause and and uh, we've, we've certainly seen some stuff from the players' association where they're like, no, you trust us, you really don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, after losing, you know, a billion dollars last year, a billion um, dollars is a lot of money. I, the, my big takeaway, you remember from the press conference, was Garber saying that if they had thirty-three million dollars per team like the NBA does, that still wouldn't be enough to cover. You know the majority of teams' losses on an individual level, and it's just like there's this year has to have been staggeringly bad across MLS, and this is maybe the one time where the frugality of the hunts might have played into their favor because of the fact that they don't have these lavish spending numbers that some of the other clubs have. Yeah, I mean they're playing they're playing largely off the MLS 1.0 game plan, which is you know treat every year like you're going out of business. Yeah, that's actually a thing, Dan and. uh, you obviously weren't here for the origins of MLS, the beginning days of MLS. And I remember I had many conversations at the time being a soccer guy when there weren't a lot of soccer guys. I got asked all the time by people in the sports business I work with, you know, is this league going to make it this time? Because we'd seen so many leagues fail. And my answer at the time is actually still true today, that it was the league's business model needs to be smart enough to survive not just 20 years or 25 years, but 40 to 50 years long enough for there to be a cultural change in the United States where soccer becomes accepted. If you can't survive that long as a league, it could still fail even at that point if the cultural shift doesn't happen. Uh, and so the, the hunts, it's clear to me, have long operated this franchise, not to get off this far off topic, but have long operated this franchise. With that in mind, the long-term survivability of 50 years, 100 years of their franchise far outweighing their short-term super spend of the, some of these other newer clubs. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, everyone, everyone, everyone really draws from what they've known since they've been alive and, and, you know, uh, aware, but you know, when people talk about the established leagues in Europe, uh, you know, your youngest one is Bundesliga, which is only 70 years old. And even before that, that was kind of like a very, NFL NBA kind of deal of it just inherited the mantle from something else. Yeah. Uh, I guess you could say the Premier League too, which I mean in all honesty was just a rebranding. It wasn't really a new league. Yeah, a separate business entity was created, but it's the same tier yeah. of teams, yeah. But yeah, um <clears throat> so it's you know, MLS is still in its infancy and yeah, uh, 40 50 years is is really when when those leagues start to just just start to uh become accepted and 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 be- and begin their own culture, like you say. All right. So we, we listened to the, the Paxton interview there or the parts that we felt were most important. Dan, what's your big takeaway from listening to Paxton on the kick around? Uh, it was, it was good to hear from him. Uh, was it, I don't think we heard anything um, new as such. I think maybe there was some, 
confirmation of the things that we'd known, some confirmation of the things we suspected. Um, yeah, it was just good to hear Paxton being Paxton, being positive about it, not, I need to go back playing immediately, I need to be the best player on the team immediately, but very level-headed and, and what we've known him to be for the past, you know, five years. Yeah, strikingly mature young man, always impressed when I talk to him or get to talk to him. All right, there have been a couple other pieces of news uh, with FC Dallas. Since we last recorded the podcast, Dan, Brisson and Philippe were both announced as returning for 2021. Good moves, in your opinion? Uh, I will definitely wait to see. Uh, Philippe definitely is going to be... I mean, obviously, they're, they're still assessing him whether they want to pick up that sizable uh transfer fee and see what it develops into uh there's certainly a lot of a lot of potential for uh him eventually being a big sale uh brisson you know we, same thing we've really been talking about quite a lot lately is he has a he has a salary of one of the best defenders in the league when in reality he is a guy that you want to be sitting on the bench yeah, I talked with somebody about him this week, and they were asking me if he's the starter, and I said, "Well, he was getting paid like it, but you know, I think by declining his option and negotiating. I, by the way, he is all in on Texas. I just he just had a baby girl, apparently, born here. So he called her his little Texan, which I thought was funny on on Instagram or wherever that was. But um, I, I said to somebody, look, if you go into the start of the season with Brisson as your starting left center back, someone's made a mistake, and we'll get to what why we think that won't be the case, but." Um, you know, that, that position needed an upgrade and the entire team was affected by that position not being athletic enough. Uh, and that's probably something we'll get into more as we get closer to the season yeah. uh, comes up. But, but as you say, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, even if it's just, I mean, it's not even just the athleticism. You know, you want to have someone who can kind of go a bit shot for shot with Matt Hedges and, and not have those times where the defense gets caught out a little bit. Um, if you go to a back three, yeah, absolutely. You've got a spare guy, throw Brisson at the ball. He can be the aggressor, and you know he's created goals in that in that role. Um, but just having two guys who are naturally right footed, Brisson can play on the on the uh, right fullback. He's, you know, his entire tendency goes really against the grain of of what the left centre back should be. So, yeah. You know, and we've we've probably spoken a little more about the nuances with uh, with North Texas, where uh, Callum Montgomery really had to kind of learn that position a little bit with alongside uh, Breck Evans. Yeah, it's not so easy to shift right. You would think it would be, but it isn't. And and the foot, footedness of the player makes a big determination. And you're correct. If Brisson is the a third center back, that's a much more acceptable situation. But then you'd have to add multiple center backs to your roster because you wouldn't have near enough if your base system was a three-man back line. Yeah, you'd have to have another start. You'd have to have depth, which is kind of important right yeah. now. Uh, right so. now, he's your, he is your, he's your depth right now. And if you go to three, then your depth is Burgess and Shea, and that's not anywhere near good enough to go into a season if, if three-man back line is your base back line. All right, well, that center back, left center back specifically, brings us to what is now an announced signing of Jose Martinez, to use a two-name version of his name, uh, Dan, what, what kind of player is Jose Martinez and what do we hope that he is going to provide to this team? Um, he is a player with, uh, with some good experience. Uh, I think that they've, it's kind of a smart business decision in a way. Um, 
yeah, he's gone to Ibar and just never really gelled there. Gone out on loan for two seasons, and they're probably picking him up on there almost on the cheap. Uh, a guy who's come through Sevilla's system and then later Barcelona. Uh, there's there's some videos of him from from playing for Barcelona B, as you'd expect with anyone who's who's been in the Barcelona system. Uh, really nice, smooth passer good at playing out from the back someone who's going to plug into Luchi Ball really nicely um, obviously he was rated highly enough that uh, Barcelona took him with the uh, senior team to the International Champions Cup and he started alongside uh, Suarez, Messi and co in place of Gerard Piquet uh, you know not not just with a, with a hodgepodge team but really with the uh, with the big money guys um yeah, you're talking yeah. about a player that I believe he's 27. So without looking it up, I would imagine he came through the youth systems in the Pep Guardiola era. He he uh he started a little bit before that. He started he's his uh I can't remember what where he's from. He's somewhere in Andalusia uh that doesn't really have a Andalusia's kind of a bit of a desert as far as teams go for uh well for the most part. So he didn't really come through a big academy. It was a lot of very local teams. It was only when he really got on uh, with Sevilla uh, for Ooh. the Sevilla Athletic, the the C the C or B team. Uh, that's when he started to really like develop as a professional. So I know there's a lot of reaction in his home area because uh, it's kind of similar to the Brian and Reggie's uh, Brian and Reggie stuff of oh we've got another one that's going going to be a, a big professional. Yeah. Um, well, so, I would imagine. Go ahead, Dan. I was going to say. So there's, you know, obviously he's had a, a little bit of adversity to deal with that, as opposed to someone who grew up in maybe Catalonia and they've just got on with like, uh, you know, either Espanol or uh, Barcelona from day one. But he's obviously paid his dues and his uh, and, and earned his spots in teams. Uh, it was kind of interesting. I think uh, some a lot of Ibar fans were kind of upset because. Uh, you know, he was in the defense uh, for Granada when they finished seventh and uh, just outside the Europa League places. And Ibar finished tenth in La Liga, didn't mm. get a sniff. And then this season, he sat on the bench for thirteen games. Uh, yeah, you know, so there's some fans there who were were kind of calling BS that he didn't even get a chance. Uh, there were some very excited Granada fans when they found out that FC Dallas's old kit was basically Granada's kit these days, uh, the red and white hoops. So, yeah, I saw uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's good to see. You know, one of the things we saw, uh, Brassan's the perfect example. Uh, we saw a lot of people um, in soccer say, you know, he's a good player. He does this. He does that. And we saw a lot of fans say he's the guy that screwed up. He doesn't have a good reputation. Um, Everything I've seen really about uh, Jose Antonio Martinez heel has been, yeah, really solid. Yeah, we'd love to see him got a better chance. So, yeah. yeah, you're looking at a guy that has played in La Liga. You know, also has played at some levels below that. Um, you know, the, the tapes that I've seen, he looks like he's pretty smooth with the ball at his feet, which is a key for Lucci Ball. Pretty decent passer. Uh, you know, looks like he has decent enough range and pace. We'll see how he holds up. You know, the the top end, can he be as good as Matt Hedges? I, you know, with time here, potentially. You know, could he crash and burn? Sure. I mean, you know, nobody, you never know about a guy. Maybe he's going to see this as a step back, even though I, from 
Ibar, I wouldn't think it is. You know, uh, maybe he's looking for a chance to prove himself. Maybe that's his, his goal while coming here. So um, it's going to be an interesting player to watch because uh, the, while the defense is really good here, you know, it's it's not likely to be worse with Mar- Mar- Martinez. And obviously you could go back to Brisson and get basically the same D you had last year. So is there a chance he can upgrade? That's what we hope. That's what the idea I'm sure is. Uh, it'll be an interesting situation to keep a tabs on to see if he walks in and starts or whether he has to fight his way past Brisson or not, because that will tell us a lot. All yeah. right. Go ahead. So um, you said uh, you, he had a pretty good range of pace. I didn't. I, I wasn't able to really find too much where I got to see that. Um, I did come across some some uh, old scouting reports, and you know, you, I mean, you've seen it as well. You you read two by two different people, and it's kind of hard to sort of throw a comparison sometimes. But it almost made him sound a little bit slower than Brisson. Mm. So, uh, you know, I just, where I hadn't actually seen the tape to see if that, yeah. that was really true or, or someone was maybe, you know, almost like scoring out of 10 on a completely <laughs> different scale, for example. Well, um, he has he has the long, what, what I saw was a player with long legs and long gait, you know, which sometimes can look like, now I didn't watch him run head to head with somebody, but sometimes a guy that has those long strides like that can look like he's not running that fast. I mean, like Hedges is like that, right? Hedges doesn't look like he's blazing fast, but he certainly doesn't get beat for pace very often. And this guy kind of felt the same way where he has that extended uh, stride that can, he can cover a lot of ground in that sense. So that's why I felt like I wasn't worried about pace watching the tape. All right, so the other player that was announced is uh, Jadar uh, Jadir. Maybe Jader O'Brien, Jader O'Brien. I like to call him Jarth Dater. I think that's funny. Darth Jader. Jadir. Hader. Hader. You think it's an H, a soft H? Hader. That's what the uh, the team's pronunciation guide said. Yeah. Oh yeah, I should look those up, shouldn't I? Well, I still like to call him Darth Hader. Um, all right. So, what kind of player, Dan? Did you get to watch any tape? What kind of player is Darth Hader? I actually haven't seen any tape on him. Um, I kind of was a bit. I I did the the one time I was like you know what these 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 rumors it's you know one in ten maybe pans yeah. out I'm not gonna waste the time it's the first one we've really heard too much about and uh, yeah and and then I fell so into the real. busy period around Christmas and yeah. I just haven't had a chance. Well, the the two videos I watched are both like four minutes long. You know, it's all goals and stuff. But um, he's a very direct, very. Uh, pacey very like head down and charging kind of player uh he's 25 so this part doesn't match up but just watching him play stylistically i got huge uh, fabian castillo vibes now he's older than fabian castillo i don't think he's as good as fabian castillo could have been but you are talking about a guy that scored what 25 or 29 goals over the last two years depending on which which place you looked up the stats he did go nine for nine on PKs. I mean, nine PKs is a fair amount out of that number, but he didn't miss one. That's impressive. Um, you know, there's some reports out of South America talk about being a good crosser and that kind of stuff. I mean, the videos I watched, there wasn't a lot of crossing going on. It's basically him blowing by guys with with and without the ball. Um, you know, and that vertical component, other than Michael Barrios, that vertical component has been a problem that FC Dallas has lacked since Castillo left. Fafa Pico sometimes brought that component, but often did not. 
you have to wonder size-wise, he's short like Barrios, so maybe this is more of a Barrios replacement, we question, because maybe Barrios is starting to lose it a little bit. But anyway, at 25, this is a prime of career player, even though he's a late bloomer. So you hope you're getting a guy that can come in and impact. This is probably going to be the highest level he'll ever get to, I would imagine, already being 25. Um, and I think the best case scenario is that you're going to get somewhere like a seven to nine goal contribution from this guy, uh, sort of as a vertical wing kind of player from one side or the other. So one thing, I mean, I, I haven't watched uh, tape on him, but one thing I did uh, see is that, you know, primarily through his career, he's played at right wing, but, you know, he will play as an inverted winger on the left. One thing that Michael Barrios has not really had since Fabian Castillo is someone that he can that he can play with. So uh, you know he needs like a, a counterpart that does his game, and I think honestly Fafa Pico was was the best we've we've had uh, we've seen with that. Um, obviously not coming back now, um, but uh, O'Brien and and Barrios did have that very small overlap. Uh, uh, I'm gonna butcher this. It's like uni autonoma. Or, I don't know. Is <laughs> it's, it's the it was both of their first club anyway. Um, in Baran uh, Barankios, I, I don't know. Whatever the city's called. Um, well, if you if you have a striker on your team who's a little bit slow, who can play like a linking style game where he checks and then lays off, you know, does a little bit of that hold up play. Maybe not as a high guy, but sort of as a little false guy then having wings that can run past that guy is the ideal. I mean, that's the kind of yeah. – that's the, these are the kind of players, whether it be Barrios or whether it be this guy. In our best-case scenario, we hope that these are guys that can take advantage of what is more of a static nine and running off of him. Now, worst-case scenario is that the guy's a bust. He's, or like, he's like early Castillo where there's lots of turnovers. He doesn't know what to do with the ball. You know, there are downsides to these guys. Otherwise, FC Dallas couldn't afford them. You are talking about a player whose transfer value was probably around 500K. These are not DPs, both these guys. Both these guys are below the DP threshold by using TAM. So uh, we hope that they're going to come good. You know, and, and whether these two guys come good is probably going to go a long way, Dan, to determine whether FC Dallas can take strides this year. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I, like I was kind of saying, I really wonder if, if part of this was to get the last bits out of Barrios, having a guy that he knows he's probably kept in contact and, and has some connection with, uh, you know, you mentioning um, the strike, you know, with a slower striker having the need to get the wings to, to kind of blow by. Um, obviously Barrios loves to to switch wings and one thing we've seen is that guys he's playing opposite don't necessarily get on the same page as him and then you get an overload on one side uh, and unfortunately a, a place where the, the opposition can overload on the opposite side so having someone who maybe is a bit or more on the same page maybe they can uh, you know get back to that that little uh, trio with uh that you had with uh, Barrios, Castillo, and Diaz, where they were kind of all on the same page, and Diaz spreading the ball out one way or the other, the wings switching, and then just having a striker that you can throw at the ball. Yeah, it, you hope, too, that these guys, it sounds like possibly, are going to be able to take advantage of Ricarte's through passes, mm -hmm. Tessman's through passes. Not sure if Acosta does through passes, but you know, there's some options in the Dallas midfield that maybe this kind of player lends itself to. Now, speaking Acosta of not, definitely. go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, Acosta definitely can, because that, uh, 
or I the the whole sixty yard crossfield bombs as well that uh, Tessman does that was originally going to be Acosta's role because mm. uh, Lucci was looking for a defender who could do it and none of them could. Yeah, well, T- Tessman needs to drive those things a little bit more, but the, that long range bomb he might be the best switcher since Ronnie O'Brien in this club. Tessman, uh, if he just once he gets those things a little more driven, it's going to be top tier. You know, I, we, I think we all know Tess, Tessman's not going to be in this league very long. It doesn't seem. All right. No, Speaking of strikers, um, there are multiple, as Dan mentioned, multiple other players that have been linked to Dallas. Now, as usual on third degree, I will retweet and sort of pass along links and things like that because they're interesting and fun to talk about. But we don't get excited about them and report on them until we actually get something actionable here in the United States. So of these, like, I think it may be four or five players now that have been mentioned. Uh, one of them's a wing, although that that guy's maybe going to Orlando. I saw another guy that's like a 21-year-old striker being linked from somewhere down in, from Uruguay, I think. Uh all these guys are not, you know, until we get something like their club from these last two guys announced they're coming or until we get something else, which brings me to um, the one player that has been, that I've gotten the tiniest little bit of nibble on. And that's the guy from Mexico, the Argentine striker from Pumas, the Neno. He's been reported out the wazoo and the Mexican press is coming to FC Dallas. And I've got nothing here in the United States on it, except for one tiny little nibble of, yeah, it's legit. Now, so that's not really something actionable or reportable from our end. Now, Dan, I don't know about you. I still think FC Dallas needs a nine, excuse me, needs another striker, needs another nine, Um, mainly because I don't want Hara to play at all. I want to move on from Hara, and I want a new guy and Pepe to be your first two choices. Where where are you with at the nine position? No, I'm right with you. I would have... uh... You know, my my wish list would have definitely been to buy out one of Acosta and and Hara. Um, you know, I, I would definitely like to see Hara become a fit here. I just uh, I just don't see how he really fits in with the system. He is a guy that that looks like he's happy to to run back and forth and kind of support and then get up, but he just doesn't have the legs and and the age to go with it. Uh, and, you know, one thing I know you, you keep saying um, is he doesn't see Pepe as a threat and he needs someone in practice to push him. And you're completely right when you say it. Yeah, uh, this is a guy, Hara, who feels that sort of acts like he's the guy, that he walked in and got what he wanted and he got the job without having to fight for it, which is all true, by the way. You know, chased off the, the competition, Cobra. I wish that guy would have stayed and fought. Uh, and then he has a 17 year old kid, currently 17 year old kid behind him, you know, acting like, um, he's going to challenge Har is not going to see that guy as a challenge. You know, he basically has no pressure. He has no accountability other than a coach who is barely older than he is and who makes a hell of a lot less money than he does. You know, this is a guy who is by uh, all the information I'm getting, puts a lot of stress on the locker room, who is frequently late and doesn't, you know, t- doesn't take everything as seriously as maybe he should. Now, it was a COVID year. He did have a kid. He didn't move his whole family up here. All that, sure. Maybe he can reclaim himself in this team, but he's 32. You know, he's 32 and slow. Like, the chances that that's going to get better is basically zip 
I mean, I think there's no way all of a sudden he shows up fast and young. I mean, it's not going to happen, right? So I, I just don't, I don't see a way forward with Frank O'Hara as your nine. I, I think you're not going to be any better as an organization if you don't figure out how to s- solve or upgrade your center forward position. And if it means giving all the playing time to Pepe over Hara, I am on board with that. I mean, I think they want, I think they should sign somebody. But if they don't, then forget the 32-year-old guy. Give it to the 18-year-old kid. That's better for me. He plays more conventionally. He plays over the top. His uh, goal uh, goals expected is legitimately one of the better in the team. You know, I think the kid is ready for more playing time. If I'm stuck with the two, then just put Pepe in. Yeah, and, and you know, you you talk about like his locker room presence, and we'll hear people talk about oh, he's such, you know, such and such is such a good locker room guy. You know, it's it's important even when you're out in the field because no one wants to pass to the guy that's being a dick every day. Yeah, you saw the interaction with him and uh, Reto Ziegler with that PK, you know, and then the, the, the times after that, when they Har at least tried to seek out Reto and vice versa to celebrate after they had the one disagreement, but that moment of disagreement just shows you the disconnect there was in the locker room, and you know, and he did Lucci. arrive in, huh? And the one with Lucci. Yeah. The one with Lucci, the disrespect of the coach. Now, granted Lucci could have d- diffused by moving away. We've rehashed that a tons of time, but you're talking about a guy who showed up in the middle of the COVID and did not ingratiate himself to his teammates by any stretch of imagination. No, I mean if you actually, there's a funny story of uh, someone like the whole idea of like paying your dues in the locker room, at Luton. Um, Luton were playing in League One at the time, won the league, and then bought in uh, a Northern Irish international called Warren Feeney. And the story goes that after a game, I don't think he even played. But he's uh, he's giving it the big one. Oh yeah, we're the champions. We're the champions. And the team captain punched him, like just laid him out. It's <laughs> like no, we played the whole season. We won it. You just got here. Don't act like you've done anything yet. You need to earn your way in. Wow. And then he did. Yeah. Well, but it's like you know, it's yeah. I mean, hopefully, going for everything in twenty twenty. That's going to kind of like, you know, really kind of pull him in and, and make him one of the guys. But yeah, nobody is, is you can't go into a place and be the guy from, from minute one. There's so many comedies about sports that show you exactly why. Yeah. And on that note, I'm going to go and watch He's Bounding Down again. <laughs> yeah. If, if Frank O'Hara comes into spring training fit and working his tail off and, and stepping up and being a leader and trying to pull everybody together, That'll, that'll be sort of half the battle, but I don't know that you can overcome the fact that he's 32 and slow part of the battle. Um, can he be a useful player to the club? Yes, if he embraces the club, he can be. But, you know, the, the bottom line in this business is that winning matters. And this team went from seventh to sixth. That's not getting it done in terms of trying to get into the deep into the playoffs. You cannot, I don't think you can look at Hara and think that's the guy that's going to carry us to the promised land. You need a legitimate 15-goal scorer as a legit frontline nine to take this team from one of the worst offenses in the league to one of the better because you have a really good defense, so you don't have to have the best offense in the league, but you have to have one of the top half offenses in the league. You want to be like Seattle when they have both offense and defense in the top five. That's the goal, and that's what you want to have happen, and I don't think Franco can do it by himself. Even if you – this is the position I think the club should sign a DP player, a – the most money that the hunts can afford level of player. Even if they won't do that though, 
you got to get a guy who's between the age of 25 and 30 that can press some level against Frank O'Hara and make Franco at least concerned that maybe that guy could take my spot if I don't work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, as, as I think, do you play as a defender, right? Well, yeah, and a, a, both a defender and a holding mid most of the time. Okay, I played as a defender. I think we're, you know, both uh, in the way we talk about a game, uh, more defense first, but you win games with goals and strikers and people that create, uh, you know, that's where the money should go. Um, and that's kind of not where they've really been, been throwing the money as much. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, even if it's a, it doesn't have to be a $10 million guy, but, you know, three, four million gets you uh, at least some of the way in MLS. And, you know, like you say, going from seventh to sixth isn't, isn't really much. Yes, they were very close to fourth, but they didn't quite get it. And every team is, is getting better every year. So you just can't rest on your laurels and expect to uh, suddenly be better because some of the younger guys are a year more experienced. No, it doesn't just happen like by magic. You have to go out and work for it and make changes and bring in personnel. Uh, this is not the NFL or all American sports where you, you draft your way to winning. In this sport, you know, you can have an academy impact, but the, there's a worldwide market and players change teams all the time. And that's where you can go make a difference. And you can go now you're right. A couple points from being fourth or, or a couple points from being 10th, you know, in a longer season, those gaps will widen. The bottom line is if the club wants to step forward and make strides forward, there's only a couple of positions in which they can do that. Everyone else is pretty much in place. So, and this is for my money is one of them. And because they're spending a lot of money on a guy who's not succeeding. All right. We've, we've butchered Frank O'Hara enough. Uh, I have one more thing I want to talk about, and then we're going to get to one of the things you're going to talk about. And the thing I want to talk about is the, po- the post I put up today about soccer numbers and roster numbers, because I think numbers are important. Uh, I think it's time for Jimmy Maurer to get the number one Jersey. And then the other, the other two that are interesting are the, are the new guys coming in. Uh, Martinez could uh, probably can have three or six. He was five at Ibar. And then uh, Hader probably is a, an 11. That's the number that makes sense. It's available. Any of those, Dan, that you have any problems with? No, I, uh, I like that in it you gave six to a defender because that's where it belongs. Yeah, the um, six six is a number that can float all over the place. We In the United States, a six is so ingrained. It's the holy mid that we call the position a six. Uh, in England, as you know, Dan, six is a center back or what you call a center half. Uh, in in Brazil, six is a left back, as you can see from Roberto Carlos and such players like that. Um, so I actually suggested that Johnny Nelson can have the six. Johnny Nelson was five at North UNC. Um, Martinez, who's coming in, was five at Ibar. And of course, uh, Santos is five now. So no, not, they can't all have the five. Uh, six might sit open again for the foreseeable future i think johnny nelson's earned a better number than his 26 if he wants to change uh because of his playing time and the other number that i really have a strong opinion about is we've talked before uh maybe not on this podcast but i've got a whole article about it on the website that the most important number in fc dallas history is the number 14 now that number is currently occupied by brian nelson but uh, brian nelson Brian Reynolds, <laughs> I combined him, <laughs> Brian Reynolds, but he's leaving. We know that. So the 14 is going to be available. And I think that, that Justin Shea should be the next player to get the coveted, important FC Dallas 
14 jersey. Part of me, um, I'm a soccer lover himself, thinks of, of your, uh, you know, uh, uh, Johan Cruyff and the like. Right. You know, creative players. Uh, I would, you know, in some ways I'd like to see a more, a more creative position, and although he does does play fullback too, um, than, a, than a centre-back getter. But, yeah, if you, if you want to really have a true succession and make the number 14 mean as much in the team as it does to to you and and local soccer historians much as the same with the 19 uh that is that is kind of the direction you need to take it yeah now i i totally understand where you're coming from about 14 being johan cruyff and internationally worldwide the 14 is often like a intelligent brainy midfielder i totally get that but in this club Starting yeah. with Lionel Alvarez is 14, and then Tedek is 14, and then uh, Drew Moore was 14, and George John was 14. There's a tradition here of standout, gritty, hardworking, tough as nails leaders in a defensive stance, stance being the 14. And I think that there's a, there's a, with Justin Shea's potential, that they should give him that jersey. And let him grow into it, you know, and let him know that there's an expectation with the number 14 here. You know, this is an important number. Um, we're not giving this to you just out of some randomness. This is we want. We think this is what you're going to be, you know, and that's why I think they should give it to 14, because otherwise I don't really see anybody uh, that's ready for that mantle unless Matt Hedges wanted it for some reason. But that's not going to happen. No, I'm sure. And it'd be weird uh, moving Tana one number just for uh, a season or two. <laughs> Well, there is a tradition uh, with the 15 jersey here in terms of um, midfielders. You know, we had Chad Deering had it and Mark Wilson had it. Adrian Sirio had the 15. There's been a bunch of guys. Ja'Cory Hayes, Jason Christ had it as a rookie. Eric Quill wore 15. Fabian Castillo started out in 15. So there's some good creative 8 to, to 10 style midfielder in the 15 here. So historically speaking, the 14 being center backs and holding mids, you know, is the, is the slightly different. All right, here's my one last number question controversy for you. Let's say Dallas does not sign a striker, a high striker. Do you let Pepe have the nine jersey? Uh, yes, because that would make your Pepe nine t-shirt more t-shirts yeah <laughs> uh no i mean i think you know if you want to um you you give if you don't give your nine to your best striker then you just create a situation where you say we don't have a good striker uh, which yeah. is you know i mean hara's not gonna care he, he's he's got his 29 it's tattooed on him yeah he wrote um, it into his contract yeah 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 um you know, if they sign a guy like Deneno, sure, nine, whatever. I'm just saying that if you go into the season, the alternatives are leave the nine empty and give it to no one. I mean, you let you let uh, uh, Pico have it. He was not even a striker. So, you know, that, some levels they don't care. So I, I think there's a point at which I'm okay with giving Pepe the nine at this point. If they don't sign another striker, that is. Well, I think as well, I mean, you could kind of um, compare it to the goalkeeper situation. Now, Jimmy Mauer does not care at all what number is on his back. He, you know, could, he could care less if it's 
one ninety eight, so that Felipe can keep his ninety nine. He doesn't really care. Um, but if you leave the number one shirt vacant, that sends a bad message that you don't necessarily have belief in in your goalkeeping situation. Similarly, if you leave the nine shirt empty, you don't have belief in in your your uh, forward line. Yeah, a hundred percent. And th- that was the case last year when the one became vacant and we said, you know, just wait and see what happens this season. And if somebody wins the job outright, which Jimmy Maurer clearly has, then you give him the one. And if you go back and you look at his days in the Cosmos, he wore one when he was with the Cosmos for the four or five years, winning a couple, you know, North American soccer league titles. So, um, you know, I'm sure that Jimmy doesn't care, but at the same time, I'm sure he recognizes what the one means. And I think the club should clearly embrace him and say, here's the one jersey that you've earned. Even if he doesn't ask for it, I think it's important. Not to mention that the number 20 is a terrible goalkeeper number because that's a the, the 20 because of Paolo Rossi, who just passed away, is equivalent to the nine. So, you know, it's a great striker kind of number uh, in, in meaning. So uh, Jimmy needs to be in the one. That's that one's To me, that's not up for debate. I was like, I don't even care if he doesn't care. I'm giving him the one. He's wearing the one. Definitely. Absolutely. Uh, so who gets to be, uh, the, let's go for a really important number. Who's going to play in the number 66 jersey? Oh, God. I, hopefully nobody. That's a horrible number. That's Trent Alexander-Arnold's number. The only person that's ever worn 66 at this club is Elaine Suter, who wore it to pay tribute to Route 66, because that's what only thing he knew about America when he came to Texas. Um, I, I hate that kind of double number, uh, and for me, like if I own this club or owned any club, it's like I'm if I got a 32 man roster, the numbers are one to 32. And that's it. I'm, I don't like numbers beyond like the top of whatever your roster limit is. Um, they, they drive me crazy. I know that uh, Alexander Arnold is making 66 popular, but 66, 77, 99. I hate all that stuff. It's like I like to pay homage to the history of numbers and the, and the way soccer, quote, in my mind, should be. You know, these these silly numbers drive me crazy. You know, get off my lawn. Well, well similar to Route 66, Alan Suter had a, a, an experience of MLS that was full of potholes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Good one, step it all. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I definitely, uh, I appreciate, like, the Brazilians do the, the year of their birth thing, like uh, Felipe's 99. Uh, I wish he wasn't born in 99. I wish he was mm. born in a, a slightly different year. Um, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, you know, 66 is a big thing uh, in England because of the 1966 World Cup. So mm. you're never going to get away from that. But right. but yeah, um, in some ways, the the Spanish system of 1 to 25 is, is rather nice. Yeah, there's there's multiple leagues in the world. And Spain's one of them where the goalie numbers are actually even predetermined. Like goalies have to be mm-hmm. one. And I can't remember what it is in Spain. I think it's maybe 12 and 23 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and there's there's other leagues too where the numbers are assigned for keepers, which I think is fascinating. So, um, you know, th- that's the way I like it and think it should be. But I I get it. People feel differently, and that's fine. If you don't care about numbers, that's cool too. <laughs> that's your bag. I think it's important. If you don't care about numbers or kits, what are you doing listening to this podcast? Yeah, those people turned it off already. Yeah. All right. After so, the Huntsman dump. Yeah, we lost half the audience after Reynolds. So, uh, Dan, one last thing to talk about on this podcast, and that's the. Always awesome. Support local soccer. The Roja Inverno League. Why don't you tell us what's up this weekend? Absolutely. So if you are familiar with uh, Europe and particularly the uh, Premier League, you'll know that Boxing Day football is our Thanksgiving, well, 
your football. Um, you know, we sit around, drink, watch a, a ton of soccer on the TV. Um, and the Roja League are trying to get that whole Boxing Day spirit going, even though Boxing Day isn't a thing here. So, two double headers. Uh, if you're in Fort Worth, you can go over, head over to Martin Field, catch uh, Inocentes versus Denton Estudiantes, who are by far and away the top team in the Roja League currently at 2 p.m., followed by the uh, the Chisholm Trail Classico as uh, Fort Worth Vaqueros host Denton Diablos at 4 o'clock. Um, both of those games, I'm sure, are going to be streamed because uh, Denton and, and Fort Worth are, are absolutely fantastic in that aspect. Uh, Four Oak Club uh, in on Beltline and Preston in North Dallas. You've got Irving FC versus the uh, incredibly talented yet results just are not going their way team of uh, Premier Legends. The uh, the alumni team of the FC Dallas uh, Premier's 01 team, which contained uh, Jonathan Tomkinson of Norwich City and Jesus Ferreira. Uh, you've still got guys like uh, uh, Judson Burns playing for that team. Really, really good team. Oh, Michael Collodi as well. A really good team. Just uh, amazingly, the results haven't gone their way, and they are sitting on one point. Uh, incidentally, yeah. having FC sitting directly above them on two points, so uh, you know this will be a big boost to one of them. Uh, followed by F, uh, that'll be six o'clock and eight o'clock. FC Harrington versus uh, Foro. Uh, Foro is Michelle's team um, again. Stupid, talented team. Uh, a lot older team. Uh, FC Harrington, a very uh, gritty. Uh, kick the ever-loving shit out of you and, and beat you in doing it. Uh, they are actually the third-place team between, behind the two Denton teams. Uh, Kevin Minney is on that team. The yes, team. he is. Yeah, uh, Four are a point behind them just outside of the, the playoff situation. Um, really good set of games, actually. Uh, I mean, particularly with the, the Chisholm Trail Classico, um, you know, really gearing up to that, uh, that kind of european Englishy vibe. It'd be definitely worth uh, checking out if you're fed up of uh, your family by that point of uh, the day after Christmas. Yeah, interesting that Denton is the top two positions in the table. Uh, it's it's clear that that organization uh, has some ambitions above what they are right now. I, I don't know how high that might go, but they're definitely putting in a little extra work with that, getting both of their teams uh, top in that table. That's impressive. Yes, and and uh, you know Denton and and Foro actually, uh, you know they they're both uh, I think looking to make strides in the women's game as well pretty soon. So uh, you know two two clubs who who could kind of push a, a little bit. Uh, Foro have the 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 Foro Sports Club facility, which may be a bit of a a help to them. Um, Denton Diablos. I mean, whether it's uh, Texas Women's University, UNT, or they they eventually get their own facility, uh, you know, it'd be great to see something happen there. And all, a lot of these clubs have youth organizations too. Vaqueros, of course, is free. They use uh, the monies they earn from other things to uh, facilitate that academy. It's not an academy level, but it is a youth program. Denton, I know, has recently started some youth teams, so... These teams or organizations are are building infrastructure below themselves that are going to help keep them at the at least MPSL or semi-pro level. And perhaps someday, 
uh, at a higher level, you know, venue is the key to being anything higher than NPSL. Revenue control, massively important. Um, you see, matter of fact, you see North Texas Soccer Club moving to, you know, Arlington for, for more venue control, for more market access. So those things really matter at that level. And those teams are going to be really interesting to watch to see who goes what direction because there's a bunch of teams there. And even a few that aren't even in this league right now currently, you know, whether they be Rados or whether it be Dallas City that are in, they're players in this market. Well, I mean, and, you know, even looking more at our business side of things, um, perfect example, um, you know, I think one of the, I think probably when we had the the COVID enforced layoff, I think the best uh, podcast that we had was when you sat down with uh, with Damon Gokner from from Denton. Um, you know, he knows he knows the business of soccer. He's a marketing guy. He kind of gets like you know how to uh, to deal with people and and sports and and talking about. You know, them sending the kids' team over to the the tournament in Barcelona and stuff like that. Like, you know, they're 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 slowly putting pieces in place that that could lead to a very cool situation. And DFW maybe isn't like a, a true soccer town, quote unquote, but things like this could make it that could give it the uh, the kind of the scene below the MS, MLS level that the other markets do enjoy. Yeah, uh, Damon's a savvy guy, and Denton has its own identity. And even though it's part of DFW, really, the triangleness of it makes it sort of a third sort of little town in a lot of ways with the university there and all the other things that are there. A great vibe in that town sometimes. So there's a chance to build something there independent from Fort Worth where there's a chance for somebody to build something you know, at a higher level, maybe even a USL 1 or USL 2 type level. Maybe not that league specifically, but something. You know, there's options here. The Metroplex is so big that, you know, and there's so many people here, so many millions of people here that there's plenty of market available to run multiple semi-pro or pro at some level teams, even if there's not going to be another MLS team. It's not going to be like London with 15 EPL teams, but um, there is potential here to grow the game as as the game goes forward. Uh, it's kind of exciting time to be a soccer fan in the Metroplex, frankly. Yeah, and, and you know, everyone's marketing at a different audience. Uh, FC Dallas is, is definitely more the... Hey, let's all have a family fun atmosphere. Well, uh, so, sorry, don't speak Spanish here. Go away. Um, <laughs> you know, and and Vaqueros just with the name Diablos, Estudiantes. It's like, hey guys, we recognize that. You know, seventy eight percent of of the mar- of the soccer loving market in DFW is Spanish speaking. Let's embrace it. That's just you know smart. So, you know, these teams can absolutely exist in in the same environment. There's no real. Yeah, no one's competing for dollars. Yeah, there's, speaking of speaking Spanish, there's a lot more Spanish spoken in the FC Dallas locker room than English and on the training ground, too. If you're an English-speaking player, you got to learn Spanish quick to keep up with that on and that if, roster. And if you're an English-speaking member of the media, you're going to speak to about three players through the season. Yeah, it can be tough. Some of the Spanish guys have not learned any English, uh, which is you know, disappointing in the sense that we'd like to have access to them. Of course, I haven't learned Spanish, you know, so mm-hmm. it's as much on me as anybody. Um, yeah, we really wasted time during uh, the pandemic not doing that. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to think about that. <laughs> you sound like my dad telling me I should have learned Spanish. I should have learned Spanish a long time ago. One of the regrets of my life, not learning Spanish. Same. All right, Dan, speaking of marketing, it's time to remind you that Third Degree, the podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. 
You can get 40% off site-wide at Soccer90.com with all, for all third-degree podcast listeners with promo code thirddegree at Soccer90.com. That's the number three, 3RD degree, which is exactly the same as the name of the website and the podcast and everything else. Uh, so go there and get some stuff. Make us look good. Click through. Tell them we sent you. Use that yeah. promo code. And you know who else has been really good? That really lovely Peter Welpton chap and his friend Andy Swift over at 96.7 and 13.10, the ticket on the kick around for letting us use that interview. Yeah, super shout out. Thank you to Peter Welpton for letting us uh, chop apart his interview and put Paxton into our podcast. He by no means did he need to allow us to do that. Uh, and he did, and we are grateful. Uh, it would have been fun to have him here today to lead into his own questions, but um, you know he is uh, busy today with both Christmas Eve with the family, but also uh, you know during these holiday times he does more work on the kick around, not on the kick around, on the ticket. So that has taken up a lot of his time, and he wasn't able to be with us this week. Okay, Dan, thanks again, my friend, for coming on and doing the podcast with me. Uh, appreciate you helping fill up the show a little bit today with your soccer wisdom. Thank you very much, and enjoy uh, a wonderful soccer-filled Christmas. Thank you, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, and Happy New Year. And there will be a podcast for New Year's Eve, and we'll talk about that later in the week. You might hear some stuff from us about that. Uh, don't forget that if you do like what we do, uh, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash third degree. We'd love to have your support. Again, thanks to Pappy Chep for the music. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan, for tuning in. We will talk to you again on next week's version of Third Degree, the podcast. Merry Christmas. Third degree, the third degree nap podcast. Third degree, the third degree nap podcast. Third degree, the third degree nap podcast. Third degree, the third degree nap podcast.